Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And this uh, verse, uh, again, I set the context to it. It's sort of plugged in right in the middle of, um, in Jeremiah 32 and 33 here, you have the context of what's gone on where it's uh, the Basically, the uh, nation of Judah is a divided kingdom, remember? The nation of Judah has rejected, really, the repentance that God had been calling for. And remember, God raised up prophets to herald forth his message and also foretell events that were going to come. And we find out, and we'll read it a little bit later, where Jeremiah ends up in prison Um, He's there because the message he had wasn't a very popular message with the king, which was essentially that the Babylonians would come and that um, they would not prevail. They they were going to lose and be taken away captive because they failed to follow the Lord. And Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet because uh, much of his ministry, if you read through it in the book of Jeremiah, was what we would call an an unfruitful ministry by human standards, right? If you look at it, I mean, we don't have records of conversions. We don't have um, people turning and repenting much. You have Jeremiah, who's a lone voice in many ways. And he suffered loneliness. He knew what it was like. He suffered uh, through bad times because although he was following God, his nation was not. And in doing so, he suffered also alongside them and the repercussions of of God removing his blessing upon a nation that had rejected. And so you see all that. And and by the way, God's people aren't exempt from that in a sinful world where people choose not to follow the Lord and the consequences of their sin build up. Sometimes believers who are following the Lord still have to suffer the consequences of that. Uh, praise God, we have the great hope of going through those things and, again, being more than conquerors, right? Romans 8, when we, we talk about that. But uh, we find out the Lord is faithful and he always keeps his promises. And that's a recurring theme throughout things. And tonight we're looking at the promise of answering prayer and the promise of answered prayer. And so we're going to focus on that a little bit. Uh, in the New Testament, I, I like this verse from 2 Timothy 1.12, and Paul writes here, For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Um, that's one of those verses of scripture I memorized early on as a Christian and I rehearse that in my mind often, you know, because sometimes when you feel like, hey, it's too much, there's too much to do, there's too many things going on, that things aren't getting better in our culture and those kind of things, it's easy to get your eyes off the Lord and be discouraged. Paul, in that time, was, um, well, he was getting ready to be offered up as, you know, a martyr. And this is often called his swan song, Second Timothy, because it's the last of his writings and and before he's, he's killed. And he knew his time on earth was short. And yet, in those days of darkness for the apostle, he reminds us, just like Jeremiah reminds us, and God ultimately reminded them, that he, the Lord, is able to keep us. He's able to do that until that day. And I'm glad for that. Well, reading a little bit more and keeping the thing, this in context, we can pick it up in Jeremiah chapter 32, the previous chapter, 
and this is what I was referring to earlier, says the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, we're going to talk about that in a moment, in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. So you have a very specific time and date of when this came. Um, and it's included there for our understanding on a historical context of what's taking place. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. And this is why. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of, the Babylon, of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. His message was not a message that you often want to hear, right? I mean, more often, it's, it's for us, all of us, we'd rather hear a positive message from the Lord, something that would uh, maybe tickle the ears even, you know, those kind of things. And Jeremiah was not going to do that. He was true to the word of God, even when the word of the Lord was, in this case, a very negative thing. It was a positive thing in the sense it was truth, but the king didn't receive it. The king didn't want to hear it. The king looked at Jeremiah and said, why do we have a prophet like you that's telling us this? And he didn't want to listen to what Jeremiah had to say. And so he ends up imprisoning Jeremiah. In the process of that, by the way, I think God was gracious because the king had to feed his prisoners and everybody else in Jerusalem was starving. But Jeremiah was provided for while he was in prison. And we read a little bit further on what happens Jeremiah gave the word of God to the king, and then in his darkest hour, God gives him a word. The next verse says, <clears throat> Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shulam, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 70 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase contained, containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of pur pur purchase to Barak, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of witnesses, who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. I charged Barak in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed and purchase, and this open deed, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. 
So the context here, you have Jeremiah who gives a message to the king saying, you're not going to prevail. That, that army that's around the city right now, the Babylonian army, they are going to win. It ends up getting him imprisoned in the, in the court of the king. And it's there that God reveals to Jeremiah, you're still, there's going to be a, a, somebody come back to this land someday. And again, it will be bought and they'll be buying things. Tells him to invest in real estate in a time when he's being besieged by a foreign army. You can imagine that takes great faith. But he was assured of it because of the word of God. And I'm thankful for that. So when you come to Jeremiah chapter 33, and in that section that we read, we're going to actually pick it up in verse 1. We have here, um, really, we, we have here what God was going to do and the word that came to Jeremiah further, and in the context, verse 3 is in this context, and it says, moreover, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. Aren't you glad that God continues to reveal truth? You know, he does so through the written word of God to us today. He reinforces it through all kinds of means, but, but this is where his revelation that he gives to us. Aren't you glad he didn't just give it to you once? And that's it. Uh, my mind is, my memory is quite, you know, it's short. And if I didn't have regular contact with the word of God in my life, I would soon forget. And we all would. And that's why I think it's imperative that we stay in this book. By the way, we have more of the revelation of God than Jeremiah did. We're really blessed in that. We have the completed book. He didn't. But he had the same Lord. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Now, what you have there, and I highlighted those words, is Lord, right? Lord, Lord, Lord. You see it four times in, in the text. And um, I do this probably every other week, but when you see capital L-O-R-D in your Bible, what is, the, what is behind that? What is the name for God there? Yahweh. Yahweh, or Jehovah, uh, you know, as we might pronounce it as well, but... Yahweh, the very name of God. It's the tetragrammaton. It's the four, uh, originally four unpronounceable Hebrew consonants that were put together, Y-H-V-H in our Latin characters. But, but they added the vowels from Elohim and Adonai to, in between those consonants to get the name for God, Yahweh. And it's the very name that is revealed in Exodus 3.14, right? When uh, you have... Moses saying, whom shall I say has sent me and all that. And the Lord reveals himself as the I am who I am. And he's capital L-O-R-D there in your English Bible, Yahweh. And that's what it is. It really the creator Lord. And we find this is the same Lord who reveals himself and his word to Jeremiah. Very important. And you remember probably a year, maybe a little over a year ago now, things kind of run together. I think we're going on, uh, this is our ninth year. We're starting our tenth year already uh, here at Madawaska. And so things kind of kind of go together. And I think a year, and I look back at my notes, and it's three or four years, you know. But we talked about the names of God. And we went down through um, the various titles for the Lord, Yahweh, and where those things are used in con- conjunction with 
another word that would describe a characteristic or a perfection of Yahweh. Um, for instance, um, I have a few here. First of all, like this word, Yahweh, Jehovah. You have Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And of course, that was fulfilled when? Remember when that was fulfilled? Who, who was the one who was a forerunner? Who? John the Baptist. And here, hundreds of years before John the Baptist comes on the scene, Isaiah receives the revelation of God, says the Lord, creator Lord, is going, there's someone needs to prepare the way for him. And when Jesus comes on the scene, John identifies him as, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's identifying the Lord. It's important because he's God the Son, equal with God the Father, equal with God the Holy Spirit. All are the Lord. Very important. But you have these conjunction terms that are used. And for instance, the, one of the first ones, it is the first one, is um, found in the book of Genesis. And in chapter 22, the account of the offering up of Isaac, remember? And I'll just go into verse 14. And it talks about here, remember, there was a ram that was offered in the place of Isaac. And God provided the ram. Picture of the gospel. Picture of, the, of Christ who would someday come. And you have here in the English Bible, it says that Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And that's Jehovah Rohi or Yahweh Rohi, however you want to pronounce it. And um, in, or Jehovah, sorry, Jehovah Jireh. Um, Jehovah Jireh is that God will provide. And uh, that's, sorry, I got ahead of myself here. Uh, Jehovah Rohi is the Lord is my shepherd. And you remember Psalm 23 starts with that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, right? He leadeth me beside still waters. We, we know the Lord. And isn't that great? He's the Lord, our shepherd. We have um, Jehovah Rapha. And this would be from Exodus chapter 15. And... Quoting here, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you for which I have brought on the Egyptians. He's giving that promise to Israel. He says, for I am the Lord who heals you. That's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. You see that name for God. And then there's Jehovah Nisi, right? The Lord is my banner from Exodus 17. Jehovah Makadesh, which is the Lord who sanctifies. That's the term that's used in the book of Leviticus. He's the one who sanctifies. He sets apart. He makes holy. Jehovah Shalom. What do you think that one is? Peace. peace. The Lord of peace. He's the only one that brings peace. True peace. And it's peace with God and man. Not necessarily peace with man and man. It would be if everybody accepted the Lord, but he brings peace between God and man. Judges chapter 6, that one appears, and it's Gideon, in the life of Gideon. He uses that term. There's Jehovah Tzikednu, and that's the Lord who is righteous. That's a term in Jeremiah 23 that is used. 
And then Jehovah Shammah, which is the Lord who is there. That's in Ezekiel. And again, those connecting words that are descriptive of who the Lord is. When Jeremiah uh, says, the Lord, all right, spoke to him, that's who he's referring to, the Lord. And all those titles of him express really um, who he is and what he's like and are descriptions of that. Well, he's the God who hears and he is the one who is. I am who I am, as he said. Well, let's break this down, Jeremiah 33.3, and we're just going to look at the phrases. And again, I I believe probably this is a familiar verse to you, but it's, I think, good to rehearse it and go over it and listen and, and kind of learn some more as we look at the promises of God. Call to me. That's the first thing. Call to me. It's an imperative. It isn't like uh, an invitation, but it's actually an imperative. God says, call to me. Don't sit back and not call to me, but call to me. And I think that's important. It means to cry out, to cry aloud, to roar. And I don't think that so there are times, and I can say to uh, uh, when you think of Jeremiah, do you think Jeremiah didn't have moments where he just he poured out his heart in groanings and just probably wailed? And we think of weeping. We think of the you know a weeping person, just somebody with teary eyed, and maybe he was like that. But I I know this much of um, Middle Eastern culture, and particularly the Jewish culture, that. If you've ever seen a funeral in the Middle East or any of that, people just wail. Jeremiah was no, knew directly from God that things were going to get much worse and the people would be dead. And they already were dying and famine had hit them and cannibalization was going on, all kinds of things, awful things. And people would be killed, men would be killed, and some would be taken captive, brought off. And you can imagine seeing what as God reveals to you, that's what's going to happen to this nation because they won't repent. He cried out to God. Though it is an invitation, it's an imperative invitation. And I think as his, his believers, we need to call unto God. Call unto God in these days. Call unto Him. Not to others. You know, sometimes you can make a call and it doesn't work out, does it? My... Uh, there's one guy, he's really lonely. He calls every night. His name is Spam Risk. My phone always says Spam Risk. Spam Risk. And I pick it up and it's always a spam call, you know. But they filter that enough. I don't know if you have a phone like that. Mine does that. And it announces it. So I always think, poor Spam Risk. He never gets the phone answered, you know. But, but uh, God's not like that. You know, you can call to him over and over and over and over again. And he always is there for you. And we'll, we'll look at some other things. But for some reason, we're not like that. We'd rather do it ourselves. Um, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. But I'm like that. I'll, use, I'll do everything possible in my own way to make sure something gets done. And then when it doesn't work out, and I, I'm going down, I'll tell you what, then I call out to the Lord. And I'm not alone in that, because there's all kinds of illustrations in Scripture in that. And I can tell by your expression, some of you are like that. We shouldn't be. Call on to me, the Lord says. 
Think of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1. God called him, called him to go to Nineveh. Told him what he was going to do. Jonah went the other way. And instead of calling on to the Lord, Jonah, in the midst of a terrible storm, so much so that the sailors were throwing things overboard, and they were wondering what's going on, Jonah, this passenger, this backslidden passenger, he's there and he's sleeping. So the captain came to him, Jonah 1.6, it says, and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Here is someone who is, is not a believer. I mean, that's the assumption. These are not Jewish sailors. They aren't God's people. This is a pagan, if you want to use that word, I guess. But yet he seems to have more fear of God than the preacher. Boy, he says, call on God. If the unsaved can look at us and say, call on God, how much more should the saved say, call on God, right? I mean, think about that. We should. Call on the Lord. Isaiah 43, 22, very similar spiritual condition going on in times of Isaiah's ministry. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. We get, and, and I'm again making this personal, but it's easy to become weary of the things of God because we become familiar with them. Why not just call on him? Call on me, he says. James puts it this way in the New Testament. You're, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Oh boy. We try every other way. We even go to war with it. We don't ask the Lord. When Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call unto me, it's an imperative. Remember that. Jesus said this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And that's part of the invitation as well. <clears throat> you call and he answers, right? And that's the next part of the verse. Call to me and I will answer you. I will answer you. And I believe that that really is um, the invitation that God gives for us. You know, He is willing to answer. Psalm chapter 4 verse 3 says, The Lord will hear when I call to him. That promise, by the way, is over and over and over again in Scripture. And by the way, that comes from people who know the Lord. Okay, That promise is not necessarily to just everybody. Now, is God, I would put it this way, can God hear the prayers of the unsaved? Absolutely. He's not obliged to, but he can. I remember before I was a believer, in my teen years, I remember praying to the Lord, and he answered certain aspects of my prayers to reveal himself to me. Was he obliged to do that? No. My sin had separated me from him, and I, I, I had no relationship with Christ, but he revealed himself very specifically to me when I prayed to him. And I'll, I, I'll stand by that. And I, that's just my story, but I've heard that over and over again. But I will say this, 
it's not always that way because the Bible says this, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I really think that reaching out in prayer through unbelief, the Lord is, again, under no obligation to listen or to answer. By his grace, sometimes he does. But you have to first and foremost have faith, believing faith. And that's part of it. And that is the understanding of a relationship with him in that way. Secondly, we're commanded, and and by the way, these are these all these verses here, there's about ten of them here, that really kind of contrast is it, is God obliged always to answer? All right? And I would say in their circumstances, no, he's not. And these are those, okay, including Hebrews eleven six. John fourteen thirteen says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I do not think that praying to false gods or idols or those things, um, that God is obliged to hear those things at all. Because Jesus said you're to pray in my name. And by the way, he's the mediator, right? The only mediator. That was great revelation to me when I was a teenager and I was really saying, Lord, you know, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And someone gave me a Bible, a Catholic Bible. I remember reading through that and getting to certain verses. And I, I came to the verse in Timothy says, there's but one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. And it blew me away. Because my whole life, I had been taught to go through everything else but. And I said, Lord, you're the way I can just go right to you. Thank God for that. And probably most of you have, many of you that came from that background have that similar story. <clears throat> We're to pray in Jesus' name, not Buddha's name or some other other false god or anything like that i was reading an illustration uh, in regard to that it was another sermon i was studying for and i was looking up some illustrations i came across a historical illustration of a, a japanese i guess you'd call him a warlord in the 1500s who uh, spent decades building a temple to buddha and right after they completed it and dedicated it within just a short period of time like within a matter of weeks an earthquake came and destroyed the whole temple he was so infuriated that he, he invoked Buddha's name in not a good way. And he said, you are not strong enough to even take care of your own temple. Well, he was on to something there. I don't know if he ever understood the truth, but probably not. But you know, there's a lot of, of things that um, we do in the world. And God is not obliged to hear those things. Does he, by the way, does he answer prayers? Sometimes the people... In the midst of idolatry, he does to reveal himself. I remember reading a book years ago. I shared that once before. Uh, it was called uh, The Death of a Guru. It was when I was at Lancaster Bible College. I had to read it in a missions class on, on uh, Eastern thought was the, the course. And we had to read some, some books that were, you know, this one happened to be of a Christian named Ravi Maharaji. And he spent years praying to an idol, um, chanting, and doing that hours on end, 
building up good karma. And he had had someone, actually his mother, who worked as a nurse, witness to him, uh, she was witnessed to in the hospital by a Christian. This is in India. And that Christian had told her that Jesus is the high God. And that if you prayed to Jesus, you would, um, he will hear you. And she went home and she told her son that. And he, he stuck that in the back of his mind. And as he was one day going through these motions, um, spiritually something really evil visited him. That's what, you know, he had this terrible vision of demonic uh, being that just hit his mind, almost a, a nightmare in broad daylight as he described it. He was so scared he thought he would die. He called out to Jesus and it fled. Now I know that sounds a little hokey. We're not into that kind of stuff, right? But but listen, we wage battles in the world and the world is very much under the the pressure of Satan and, and evil and forces of de- demons and other things. And it was such a moving experience for that man that it began for him a quest to look into who is Jesus Christ. Eventually, he forsook his worldview and his theology of pantheon of gods and all that, and he followed the one true God. And I had a chance to read his book, you know, and a lot of other things in that that, that were very eye-opening to the way people think. But praying in Jesus' name. First of all, you have to know him. It's not just invoking words, but it's knowing him. Those kind of things. Secondly, or thirdly, I guess this is another one. We need to pray in the will of God. God's not going to answer your prayer apart from his will. And when we pray, we come in line with God's will. Right? Your will be done. Right? Not my will, but your will. As it is in heaven, right? So be it on earth, or as it is in heaven, right? In that We talk about that's the will of God. And we come in line with that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next one, Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Listen, if you are going to go to God and you have sin that is clear sin in your life, it's been revealed to you, and you do not want to deal with it, God is again under no obligation to listen to you. Matter of fact, it's a scary thing to be living in that condition when you know to do right and not repent because he promises to chastise those whom he loves. We welcome that. Another one, relationships. This is a big one because sometimes I've sat with people over the years And they are at odds with somebody in their family, sometimes their spouse. And and it's clearly they don't want to reconcile, and yet they want God to bless them. And sometimes they come to a pastor or somebody that will, they just want that sort of sanctioned in their life. And I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I'll tell them the word of God and I'll say, listen, if you follow it, it works. If you don't, well, you're on your own. 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together of the grace of life. And look what he says, that your prayers may not be hindered. 
when a husband and wife relationship's out of whack, even among believers, and it can happen very easily, can it? Your prayers can be hindered. We're warned of that in the, in the New Testament. <clears throat> Forgiving others. You want to be forgiven? Forgive others. Mark eleven twenty five. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Listen, I, I would encourage you, underline that in your Bible, highlight it, whatever you got to do, just forgive him. Uh, over the years, I have seen some just sad things, I'm sure you have too, where people have gone away from the Lord because they won't forgive someone else. I remember a pastor, Pastor Clayton Crocker, he had, uh, again, I've shared this probably before too, but I was at Pasadumkeg Baptist Church pastoring there, and I remember asking Pastor Clayton, who had been pastored there twice, and he was now in his 80s, and he was, he was there as a member. And what a, what a gem of a man to have in your congregation. I remember asking, I said, Pastor Clayton, what, what, um, what was the worst thing you ever saw uh, why people left fellowship? Because, you know, over the years you see that, and it's sad every time. And he said, remember two ladies that, that left the church over a popcorn ball. A popcorn ball? Uh, I was kind of, it piqued my interest. And he said, yes, so we were having a harvest party, you know, and, and uh, the end of October or something. They had a gathering of the youth and all that. And these ladies came as volunteers to help out. And, and someone had made popcorn balls for all the kids. And then there was just enough for most of the workers except one lady. She didn't get her popcorn ball. And she was so offended, she left, first of all, told the other lady who took the last popcorn ball what she thought, and then she left. And that lady, who was also offended, they both stayed out of church for weeks. Weeks turned into months. Finally, Pastor Clayton went to him, and he said, you just have to forgive each other. And they did. And they were reconciled, and they did come back into fellowship. But it's so easy to stop and just be stagnant in the water over the silliest of things. Just forgive. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. James 4, 5, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. (laughs) You know? Sometimes we uh, think that God will always answer prayers on our behalf because he wants us to always be happy. Can I tell you something? If God always answered every prayer that I had, I would be in charge of the world, not him. It's a good thing he doesn't answer all my prayers that way. He'll answer. He says, no, that's not part of my will or those kind of things. He does that, doesn't he? And there are times we have to understand that. Spurgeon said this, Even the Lord's people ask for things which it would not be for God's glory to give, nor for their profit to receive. Philip Yancey adds this, By answering every possible prayer, God would in effect abdicate turning the world over to us to run. What I said earlier. And we don't think, I don't think that's a good idea for any of us. Or me, let alone, to run the world. Couldn't do it. Let him do it. 
And then we need to abide in him. Stay close to Christ, right? John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And, and part of that abiding principle of that closeness of Christ is you will know his mind. You will know his will. And you, the way you stay close to the Lord is through the reading of his word and prayer and fellowship one with another. That communing aspect as well. And you know what? Staying close to Christ lets us pray close to Christ. Proverbs 28, 9 is another one. Listen to God's word. And that's what I was talking about here. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. How many people pray today and they don't at all pray in the very simple, like, I should say, uh, praying the truth of the word of God or praying in regard to the truth of the word of God, right? God will never answer your prayer that is contrary to what he has revealed in his word as far as things we ought to do or obedience, those kind of things. <clears throat> God, help me get away with this bank robbery I'm about to, to take, you know? I mean, probably bank robbers pray that. I don't know, some might, especially after the police show up or whatever. But, you know, God isn't going to do that. You know, you're, you're going to covet somebody else's money and then steal it and all that. You're violating very clearly his commandments why is he going to answer a prayer like that lots of things like that proverbs 21 15 or 13 whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard and i think that principle is in prayer also if you're not if you're going to be stingy and not help when you can help then why is god obliged to just help you um, and I think the principle here is a generous person will in receive generosity back. Uh, that's God, isn't it? You know, he's like that. He loves a cheerful giver, those kind of things. Be generous. And then Jeremiah 33, 3. We've got a couple minutes here. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. In other words, things that you haven't ever seen before. If you call on the Lord, he answers. And he is over and over again shows you things that just make you stop and go, wow. He's a big God. And that's what that really means. He shows us things that we never saw before. That aspect of discipleship, of coming in line with the Lord and following closely to him, abiding in Christ, all those things. God doesn't just make it boring. He makes it more exciting. He shows you things you never saw before. You want something new in your life? Get close to the Lord. That, it's that simple. Comprehend God's greatness. We need to do that. Sometimes we get just sort of isolated, right? In... in um, are things we don't really see the bigness of God. As you call upon Him, you start to see those things. And I don't have time. But I I could go on all kinds of areas in my life over the years, where my wife and I and our kids and others have called on the Lord for a specific thing, and He just answered so abundantly clear that you go, "Wow, how'd you do that, God?" You know, God's good like that. That's how. I mean over and over again 
providing spouses for two of my kids thus far, you know? He did that very specifically. And in prayers, I think that were, we prayed years before, and we didn't know who they'd marry or if they would marry, but we said, Lord, if you have someone for them, please, please keep that person for them. And Lord, we pray that you would just lead them together. And, and I can tell you, I've seen that in, I've seen that in Sam's life, Laura's life. And, and uh, I think God is, is at work that way. And I mean that. And sometimes we just need to, we need to pray even before they were born. We were praying those things. But sometimes in the moment, it's hard to see. We're too focused on the little things, maybe. It was Jim Ewing who was, um, years ago I saw an interview or, or read an interview of him. And he was a engineer working for Pontiac back in the 60s. And he was on the Pontiac GTO engineering team. Now, I think the GTO is probably one of the greatest muscle cars. Huh? I don't know. Uh, not a pastor car. I know that. But I, I think I could get away with it for a while, you know, just until I got caught, like, doing donuts or something. But there's a 66 and a 69 GTO, and, and uh, I can't afford either one. But anyways, uh, he was working on that project. He worked 60 hours a week on that project, along with a bunch of engineers. And none of them really realized how great a car was going to come off that assembly line until it did. And it came off the assembly line, and they cranked up that engine. I think it was around 325 horse or so. And, and it was just a beautiful car. Now, it's not all about cars, by the way, or anything like that. But I thought about that. Like, it's possible that you can devote your life 60 hours a week to something, do that, and miss the big picture of it all. God wants to wow us. And that's why he says, call on to me, Right? And I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I want that to be part of my life in these years of my life as well. Um, as I'm now, you know, looking f- at the, uh, the, the majority of my years are behind me, you know, in that. And as I look about, as far as this earth, <laughs> the other stuff hasn't even begun, you know. But don't lose the big picture of it all in the midst of that. Lord, we are grateful for your word and grateful for a very simple promise of the answered prayer. Help us to be a people of this book, a people who know you and, and will walk closely with you. And Lord, that we will stand in awe 